All right, and welcome to this episode of The Trumpet Guru's Hang, and I am joined by Mr. Eric Miyashiro, all the way from, well, I'm not sure whether he's in Hawaii right now or whether he's actually in Japan or who knows where he is. He's hiding out somewhere. But Eric, I am so, so happy to have you with me today. Hey, Jose, like I said, man, it's a, it's a great honor to be here. I've been a big fan of uh, your work here. So, uh, man, like, um, thank you. Thank you for your invitation. Oh, uh, well, you know, it's just, I love talking trumpet. You know, I, I just love talking in general, but you know, especially uh, a chance to talk trumpet that you, know, you never pass up a, a chance to do that. And uh, especially with someone who's had such um, such an amazing career. I mean, uh, you're, uh, well, you're a few years younger than me, so you're, you're not, you're not that old yet, but, uh, you, you know, you've had, you've had a great career. You've done a lot of stuff and, um, I just really want to get into it and, and uh, introduce people to, to Eric Miyashiro, let them know the man behind the horn a little bit. So, uh, let, let's kind of just start, start at the beginning. I mean, you were, you were born and raised in, uh, Hawaii. So, um, I think that's that's actually what kind of set this all off is that uh, you uh, messaged me and said uh, how much you enjoyed the hang that I did with uh, with Wayne and Jerry and Gary and you got all oh, those are all my old buds and you know oh, Jerry and Gary from Hawaii I remember those guys back then so that music scene had to be cracking back then you know with all with all those guys well, you know can can you share a little bit of, about your your musical exploits in Hawaii. Oh man, it was a great start. Uh, my dad was a trumpet player, so the trumpet and the music came really natural. It was the trumpet was a toy. Uh, my mom said that you know I would when I was like two, two or maybe one, you know I would I would have a mouthpiece <laughs> as a pacifier, and you know I would be like you know just hanging with my dad and all the gigs. So there was a no doubt in my mind that, you know, um, that I, w- I was going to become a trumpet player. Mm-hmm. So um, fast forward to the mid 70s when I was in junior high, um, I tagged along with my dad to a recording session. And it was an early session. It was like 830, I think. And uh, I um, walked into the studio with my dad and all the guys was ready to go. It was a small horn section uh, with a rhythm section with a, with a girl singer. Um, and here comes um, really scruffy looking, uh, you know, the trumpet player with, with dark shades and his <laughs> hair is all messed up. And he sits on the, the chair next to my dad, takes out his horn, not even warmed up. And he just, okay, let's go. I'm sorry, I'm late. And he proceeded to like just nail everything on that music. And I've never heard anything like that before. It's like, oh my God, this guy sounds incredible. And I asked my dad on the way home, uh, hey, who was that? And my dad said, that was Gary Grant. He's from um, uh, the West Coast. Uh, he's a studio musician and he's currently living in Hawaii uh, playing uh, one of the shows in Waikiki. And man, I was so knocked out by his sound and that's the sheer, the fire that he had. He was a completely different uh, player from my dad was. My dad was a more of a classical, uh, he was a Chet Baker fan. Okay. So, you know, that was my um, <clears throat> introduction to Gary. 
And I found out a bunch of those, uh, well, back in the 70s, Waikiki used to have a house band. Most of the hotels used to have, used to have a show and they had all these hired guns from LA. Right. And guys like uh, Ollie Mitchell, um, John Madrid, Gary, mm. and of course, Jerry Hay was, was around. So um, I found out that uh, those guys would play a rehearsal band, like a kicks band at the union uh, to, you know, just to have fun, you right. know, away from the, their shows. So uh, I cut out, you know, got out of my school. I cut school and went to the union again early in the morning, like nine or 10, I think. And snuck into one of these uh, rehearsal bands and, you know, the Jerry and Ollie and all this, you know, the monster heavy heavyweights were there playing these Nestico charts and Thad, Thad Mel charts and, you know, whatever they could find. And I was just soaked in the sound and I was like, oh man, this is amazing. So um, I was blessed in a way that um, I, I got exposure to those, that sound. And that really stuck in my mind. And from there on, uh, first of all, I'm self-taught. I never had a teacher. And I was, I'm one of those type that um, would not or could not uh, be taught. <laughs> uh, I, I, I hated to be you know, told what to do. So I kind of, um, you know, uh, found my own way of playing. And by listening to these guys, man, you know, that kind of got, I, I had a really strong goal early on that I want to sound like that. And I think that's the important thing, uh, the foremost, I think, for any kind of a musician, you know, to have that sound in your head. Yeah. Well, you know, that's an interesting statement because, you know, uh, a lot of people... I hear them say, I want to play like that person, but very few people say, I want to sound like that person. And I think that's an interesting distinction because I think when the, when you have a clear idea of a sound, then you're, you're going to do whatever is necessary to create that sound. You're going to, everything is going to be funneled towards creating that, that unique sound as opposed to, you know, if it's just like, well, I want to be able to play high notes or I just want to play faster. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you lose your way. And I, and I think maybe that's, that's one of the things, you know, one, you, you had that idea, but two, you were just blessed to be in that environment where, you know, you had the perfect examples. You had the, the right role models there for, for what you you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I know I noticed that you know uh, there was you know uh, four or five guys in the trumpet section, and they all sounded incredible, but they all sounded different. And I you know I couldn't say I like that guy's this guy's sound more than this guy. They all sounded amazing. Mm -hmm. So so I think that I think that was good. Instead of uh, being a, a fan or uh, you know. Um, just like, like say, you know, I, I love Maynard and that's what the sound that I want to get, you mm -hmm. know, rather than, you know, I, I was like, you know, or for this type of playing or this type of music, this sound matches better. You know, I, I kind of found that uh, out early in, in that stage of my life. Um, also, um, 
maybe Jerry can correct me, but I remember hearing Jerry practice at the University of Hawaii practice rooms. I was hanging out there、uh, playing for、uh, one of those competitions, solo competitions. Yeah. And I, I saw、uh, a, a crowd gathered outside of、um, one practice room door.、Uh, they're like, you know,、uh, listening in. And I was like, oh, what's going on? So I, I went by and、um, I heard this incredible trumpet playing.、Um, was, I think he was playing Chalier or,、uh, or Arbenz. It was, but just, it was amazing. He, he was like, I mean, you know, he could do anything. Yeah.、Um, and I asked the guys, you know, hey, so who, who's, who's, who's playing? And they say, well, it's Jerry Hay. And it's like, wow, okay.、Uh, who's Jerry Hay? <laughs> so they proceeded to explain to me who he was. And he, he just said that he's playing、um, uh, in one, one of the shows and he's got a band called The, the Ox,、mm-hmm. which you know, be, later became The Sea Wind. Right. So I kind of tracked down Ox, tried to, you know, figure, you know, try to, I wanted to listen to him more.、Mm-hmm. So, I found out、um, Ox was playing in one of the, the small theaters、uh, near Ala Moana Beach. So, anyway, I went there and I heard the band, and oh my God, I, I just again, once again, you know, it was like, you know, was, that was a like, religious experience、mm-hmm. hearing Jerry. And, and they also played a lot of dances and caught one of the, their dance gigs. And Jerry, Was, was the only trumpet player, and they had two other saxophones,、uh, Kim and Larry Williams.、Mm-hmm. But anyway, Jerry, I remember Jerry is playing、um, everything,、um, all the trombone parts to this, you know, like the dance charts, all the trumpet parts, and played a solo and played everything. And it was like, I was just, again, it's like, oh my God. So, this, you know, the, the, these OMG experiences yeah, yeah. really kind of solidified, you know, my early on,、um, you know, goals、mm-hmm. of becoming, yeah, I want to be, I want to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, that, and that's, that's a high bar. And、uh, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed、uh, the earlier Sea Wind stuff. And obviously, you know, I've been a big fan of Jerry's for, for his career. But I really would have loved to hurt him、uh, with, with Ox、uh, because I, I've heard stories from people like you that is like, yeah, that was,、uh, that was some, some crazy stuff that, that they were being able to pull off in those days. So, yeah, so it, it's great you know, that, that you're part of, of, of such an interesting and thriving music scene. But、uh, you, know, you, you then transitioned from、uh, the warmth and the beauty of the island to. The cold of Boston. So, you, that, that's quite a, quite a trek there. <laughs> How did you manage that transition? <laughs> When I was a、uh, senior in high school, I、uh, auditioned for、uh, McDonald's All American High School Band. Right. You heard, you heard about that, right? You, yeah. You know about that thing. Yeah. In, back in the 70s and 80s, they had this、um, 100 piece marching band.、Uh, Uh, that was sponsored by McDonald's and all the high school seniors, two、uh, high school seniors from each state 
would audition and when you when you get in you would gather in uh, new york city and do the macy's parade and play a gig at the carnegie so anyway i, I was selected as a the, you know um representing hawaii and um maynard was the guest soloist for that gig hmm. uh uh incidentally um on on that same year that i was on the band uh chris body was in the trumpet section too oh nice yeah yeah um so anyway um uh, at the carnegie um maynard came late and nick lane was there uh, as a as a md and after the concert was over I, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you to Maynard and went up to his dressing room and I couldn't get in because there were so many people uh, doing, trying to do the same. So anyway, I was talking to uh, uh, Nick Lane and he, he said that, you know, hey, um, what are you thinking about? Um, which, what, what are you going to do after high school? And I told him that, well, I'm, I'm thinking about going to uh, North Texas or uh or somewhere in on the west coast which is closer to hawaii and he said that well you know berkeley uh, would be a, a nice choice too because they have a lot of um um ensembles that focuses on all these different name bands buddy rich uh, mel lewis basie ellington uh um and they they would you know you would um play their actual charts and like learn the the styles and stuff right. and like that yeah. and i was like oh, okay that sounds pretty exciting mm -hmm. so anyway um after i got home i kind of did a uh, uh, search i did a research on berkeley and they were offering a scholarship so i, I applied and i got that uh the, the very first Maynard Ferguson scholarship, the full ride for a year. So uh, that's what happened. And that's what kind of um, made me go to uh, the cold East Coast. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a little bit of a culture shock, I'd have to imagine. Yeah, but man, it, it was, a. I think, you know, looking back, it was a great choice. Um, not only because the school was... Um, full of you know all these monster players that became uh, a connection to a lot of uh, you know opening a different doors and but um um i got to learn all these different types of big band music and how to become a lead player my goal at that point was to become the world's greatest lead player <laughs> so um uh, i wasn't really focused on a soloing or arranging or anything like you know just only i just wanted to be play a lead trumpet for maynard mm -hmm. so anyway um yeah being at berkeley man at in that time of my life was great because I, I met uh tony catholic who was at the new england conservatory which you know was like very close to berkeley and he, uh, i I don't know how he feels about this, but he was kind of my my rival at okay. that time. Because man, oh man, Tony, he he still is amazing. But man, in hearing Tony for the first time, uh, kind of scared me because uh, 
if he could play anything uh, classical, play great jazz solo and nail and pace a double C without like, you know, turning red or without any effort. And I was like, oh my God. And so whenever Tony played and I would go and check him out. So that was, a, you know, again, a great uh, inspiration <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, further, you know, practice and try to, you know, become a better musician. Right. Right. Yeah. Tony, Tony's still a beast, man. He's still, I, I love listening to him play. That's a that great control of the horn and just a beautiful sound. Absolutely gorgeous. Oh my God. I love Tony's um, everything. And um, when I got on a Buddy Rich's band and I always wanted to play with Tony. Mm-hmm. So um, about a year passes by and there was an opening on a fort chair. And, but you know, the, the catch is that it's a fort chair and I'm so, uh, embarrassed to, uh, you know, to be asking you to play the fourth book. And Tony just said, oh, man, I, I, would, I, would, I would love to do it. So there, and, and Tony Kadik played fourth book for about a two, three months, I think. Then he left to go to uh, uh, New York after that. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, Buddy's Band, um, how, long were you on, uh, how long were you on Buddy's Band? Uh, about, about three years. I was on his last band. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. That, because we're we're very close to the same age, um, you know, it, that was kind of like a uh, like the, the end of an era. You know, it was, it was getting into that point. That was you know, so many bands, so many good bands were touring still. You know, Buddy, Woody, uh, Maynard, obviously. Uh, you know, the Basie Band was touring. Uh, you know, so, so there there was lots of. Uh, you know, it was right. That was after the end of the the Kenton era. But but there were so many great big bands that were still out on the road. So you could, you know, they weren't paying great, but you could at least go out and uh, spend time playing with those legends. So, um, you know, what was it like for you being able to to be on the road with with Buddy and you spent time with with uh, Woody as well, correct? Yeah, so you you're able to play with some of these really, you know, uh, these bands that, that really set the 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 stage for or set the markers for for big band music. I mean, what what was it like for you to to like walk out on the stage, you know, having to cover that lead book and and knowing the impact that music has on so many different generations of players? Yeah, the mid '80s uh, when I got on um, Buddy's band and was like the, the very tail end of the the living band leaders, those, you know, it was in a ghost band. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it was great. Um, I was on Buddy's band and Wayne was on Maynard's band. Roger was on Woody's band and uh, Byron, I think was maybe starting on Basie's band at that time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, we would cross path at the airport or at, you know jazz festivals and we'd be in touch with these guys and and, and man it, it was a it's a great time um i mean what's what's not to like you know 24 7 you're traveling with great musicians and playing great music traveling around the world and you know doing what you love 
you know, playing trumpet for for a living. And, you know, looking back, man, you know, that really kind of um, uh, set, you know, uh, my standards to as 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 a musician to, you know, give it, give, give, give your best all the time, each day, as if it was the first gig. So, um, and it, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, Jose was, um, was, was, was amazing. Uh, um, you know, I wasn't ready when I joined Buddy's band. I was 22 and man, I was too green at that time. And, you know, I, I wasn't ready, but Buddy, um, I guess he took a liking or maybe he kind of saw that I, he, I had a potential mm-hmm. of being able to play that book. So he gave me time to grow into the book. And I, you know, I can't thank him enough. He could have just fired me after a couple of weeks because I was, you know, crashing and burning after about a week. Yeah. I wasn't ready, you know, you know, stamina wise and being on the road. And, you know, just that, you know, the tough way of living. And I wasn't ready, but he waited for me to uh, get grow into the book. So, uh, man, that was, and that was fantastic, Jose. And I'm kind of, I'm really sorry that all these young cats would never have a same kind of opportunity or, uh, you know, a chance to do the same. Because, man, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, I was actually thinking about this the other day that, you know, we lost that opportunity, you know, the, the days of being able to go out on a big, uh, on the road with a big band. Um, and, and that's, that's a sad thing, but, um, the way that, that technology has changed the game and now, you know, in, in the younger days that we had in, in our playing careers, you know, getting into the studio was, you know, it's like, wow, I'm going to go into the studio. And, you know, it was an expensive thing. And there was a, uh, you know, there's a lot of rarity to that. But now with, with technology, you know, you can do a lot of recording at home. You can you can uh, record, you can publish, you can do all kinds of things without having to, uh, you know, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. So I think there's a whole new uh, generation that that's getting exposed to that um that audio recording side of things. And, um, you know, so it, it is a trade-off, I guess, but, uh, yeah. Are you doing a lot of, of, uh, recording still in, in Japan? I mean, first of all, how are things with in Japan in terms of, of, uh, uh, COVID and lockdowns and, and things? Are you guys still experiencing, uh, shutdowns and, and public performances? And, you know, then, you know, what are you doing to keep yourself busy in the meantime? Uh, we just went into a soft lockdown, uh, that's what I call them, um, is that all the food and beverage places, clubs and restaurants are required to close at eight. So that kind of puts a damper on the jazz clubs and concert halls. But the studios are active. I just had a studio session um, last night and a day before that too. So um, I'm able to uh, work in the studios to try to keep the rent go happening but um, yeah there's still restriction to the live gigs so um man it, it's you know um it's kind of touch and go here in tokyo mm-hmm. but um i i'm i'm doing um a little bit of a uh, home recording stuff 
I I did a bunch of a Nintendo uh, game stuff at home, uh, as well as well as uh, um, pop star, big band things, and you know. Um, so I'm I am doing a couple of uh, recording sessions stuff at home too. Well, that that's a great way to to stay busy. You know, so many guys, uh, the the ones that were already into doing this, you know, been a little bit ahead of the curve, obviously, but. But so many people now are finding themselves, you know, scrambling to get caught up with technology to be able to just to, to keep working. So, you know, it's it's a strange day we're living in, my friend. Strange days. So, oh, sure is, sure is, Jose. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah you know, um, this COVID thing is, um, you know, a wake up call in a way of, um, I, I guess, you know, that you know, we were talking about my early days uh, being on the road and how much of a blessing it was to be able to play for the live audience around the world. But um, right now uh, with this COVID thing, restrictions and not being able to play for a live audience is making me realize how, you know, how um, much of a, the music, the live music means you know, instead of this technology of, you know, um, incredibly well done recording, impeccable pitch and time and the perfection that you can get with, with all these recording techniques now. But, you know, those imperfect, imperfect I, I wouldn't say imperfection, but, uh, you know, the, the live music where, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next kind of, a, you know, uh, thing. Uh, that only live music can really, you know, uh, um, express, I guess, yeah. um, is so precious and it means so much. So, you know, uh, it was it was a wake-up call, like I said. And I'm really um, a big fan of, you know, the technological you know, innovations and stuff, but, uh, you know, there's, it's nothing compared to, you know, the live music and man, you know, I'm really hoping that, you know, we will all be able to come back on the stage yeah. very soon. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something about the exchange of energy that goes on when you're, you know, when you're in front of an audience and, you know, when you're, when you're on stage with a band just to begin with, but, but, you know, you get the energy of the guys that you're playing with and you have the energy of the, the audience and they just, it starts to feed on itself. And, um, yeah, it, it becomes a very transcendent experience, you know, when you find those moments where, where everybody seems to be on, you know, vibing the same, same way. It just, it's an amazing thing. So, uh, speaking of like, you know, the, the mindset and stuff like that, you know, when, when you said that you had the, uh, the goal of the singular goal of being the world's greatest lead trumpet player. And, you know, there are, are certainly people who would say that you you've done a pretty damn good job of, uh, of accomplishing that goal. Um, what you know, when, when you're when you're a lead trumpet player for, for people who, who don't have a lot of experience in that world, that has an exceptional amount of uh, pressure that comes with it. Um, and the, the greatest lead trumpet players that I know uh, they all have a really unique mindset. It's kind of like being a, uh, you know, one of the top 
quarterbacks in the NFL or things like that because you, you know, you, you're you're under so much pressure and you have to perform under pressure. So you know what what kind of mindset do you have for yourself like when you're when you're stepping on the stage when you know you've got to you got to cover that that Maynard chart or you've got you know you're or you're playing like the the Bill Chase stuff. Um, what's what goes through Eric's head and and your approach to uh, to playing lead trumpet? As far as a lead trumpet in in a trumpet section, uh, I think there are two kinds of lead trumpet players. One is a guy that kind of um, you know hate um, follow me kind of a strong. Uh, I wouldn't say dictatorship kind of you know approach, mm -hmm. but uh, you know and um, that guys who want to um, pull on the trumpet section, you know. And there are uh, a, 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 another type of lead player that I prefer much more is uh, a, a player that would play musically and say, hey, guys, this is the way here. Guys that who leads the way instead of pulling the, the band or the trumpet section. And um, I prefer to be on the, the, the latter example. Uh, so um, uh, playing the lead trumpet is not about the high notes. Uh, it's not about it's not about how loud or how accurate you are. Of course, accuracy and pitch, and you know, you know, is is important. But I, I think. Um, uh, it's it's all about music, playing the melody. When you think about it, lead trumpet is the top note. It's your pinky finger when you're for a piano player. So um, you have to be musical enough so that uh, the whole the band uh, will know what you're gonna do next. Instead of expecting a guy to hear and follow you. I don't know if that makes sense to you, Jose, but yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah um, so I've, I've studied many lead trumpet players, um, Snooky, uh, John Ardino, uh, who's one of my favorites. Um, and uh, there are a whole bunch of players that um, I really adore, but I, I, would, I would have to say the lead players that I really admire the most are the ones that uh, have uh, um, great jazz chops. Mm -hmm. You know, guys like Bobby and Chuck, mm -hmm. and the guys that who can you know we do incredible job on the, in, in, in the improv part too. So I think that's a, a big um, must. I think you know I, I, you you don't have to be a, a, a incredible. Lead on jazz player, but I think you should have uh, enough. I don't know um, chops to be able to play uh, some sort of a you know uh, good enough to play a solo. Yeah. Uh, um, so, <clears throat> um, my uh, approach is, like I said, uh, to be a musical as possible. And with you know using a crescendos or vibrato, and to let the guys know that I'm gonna end on beat four here, 
um, without talking about it. Because when, once you when, once you start talking about the cutoffs or the crescendo or this going to be short, long, and in in you know, and when you start to mark the music too much, and that kind of takes away from the the the. the the music itself, you know, that's my take on the lead trumpet playing thing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, when I uh, was talking with, with Jerry Hay, um, Jerry was uh, talking about, you know, working with Gary and Chuck, you know, over the years and, you know, more recently, uh, you know, with Wayne and, and Dan Panero and some, you know, some of the other guys in LA. Um, but he's talking about the importance of, you know, being able to depend on each other and to to develop that kind of relationship where you know what everybody's going to do before they do it you know you 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 know how you know everybody's going to cut off here they, they they're going to feel the line going a specific way and they're going to play it that way and you know there there's a there's a level of, of predictability but not a not a robotic way it's a it's a very uh, organic uh, expression of music and phrasing so uh and a lot of that does come from just you know the, the guys that you work with consistently so like for you do you have uh you know guys that that you tend to work with more uh in in the uh the 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 music scene in japan that uh you know that can kind of read your mind and you can read theirs uh yeah i do have um uh, my favorite guys to play with but I changed my uh, my my I uh, changed my members according to the gigs, so I have my different set of uh, guys that I uh, rely on mm. to fill the section in, in my trumpet section. Looking back again, in the back of, back on the the road days and thinking about the how the 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 road bands have kind of disappeared and all this new big band comes along and you know they they sound incredible uh perfect but uh you know it, it, there's nothing that you can compare them to let's say the bands like Basie's band from the 60s or yeah. uh the, the Buddy Rich's band from the you know, the 77 the Killer uh Four Stays with Dave Stahl and and that's the kind of um uh, yeah, the things that you can learn at, in schools or expect to the band to sound like that nowadays. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, as as you were talking about, you know, you'd already kind of beat me to the question about some of your favorite players. You know, elite players, the people that you you've studied. Um, you know, if if you had to give advice which that's what I'm asking you to do. Basically you're going to give advice to, uh, you know, someone who really wants to hone their chops as a, as a lead player. Um, you know, you already mentioned Snooki, uh, Johnny, uh, who, who are some of the other lead players that you, you say, yeah, these are the people you really should, you should study. Um, uh, George Graham, uh, man, uh, there was just so many uh, favorites. <laughs> Earl Gardner. I when I when I did um, Mel's band when I toured uh, Mel's Mel Lewis's band. Oh my God! I you know I played a third book next to Earl, and I just couldn't believe that 
that that swing time feel that he had for that music.、Mm-hmm. And yeah, Earl's one of my favorite.、Um, Lou Soloff, I love the way Lou plays lead. Oh my God, Jesus Christ!、Uh, he's one of my favorites. Jeez,、um, Dave Stahl.、Um, I love Dave. And、uh, incidentally,、um, I when I was on Buddy's band, one of the 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 hit and run、uh, night hang with Buddy in the bus, I asked Buddy who were his favorite lead trumpet players was,、mm-hmm. and he said right off the bat, he said Bobby Shue, and he said the high note kid, which was a nickname for Chuck. Okay, and and he said he said Dave Stahl, and he、uh, he went on and said that、um, you know I could never、um, what, what, how did he say it he says he said I could never crush Dave I think that's what he said, and I, I asked Buddy you know what do you mean and Buddy said well.、Um, I play faster. Dave played faster. I play louder. Dave played louder. I play shorter, and Dave played shorter. I could never crush him. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well,、oh, okay, all right." So I thought that was kind of interesting. But you know, I if he kind of brought a smile into my face when he said Bobby Shue、yeah. as his you know first choice of his favorite lead player. Yeah. Well, Bobby is,、uh, you know, like you were saying earlier about you know having a lead player who can who, who can solo.、Uh, you know, Bobby and and Chuck,、um, they're both those guys that、uh, have just super super solid high chops, obviously, but they're able to play so musically, and then that, that shows through in their soloing, particularly their their work on ballads and flugelhorn. I love Bobby's flugelhorn playing, just. Absolutely, it's like butter, you know, and and that comes through. That lyrical approach to playing really comes through in in his lead stuff. Even when it's swinging hard, it's still super super musical. So、um, you know, I, I hopefully I'll be I'll be talking to Bobby、uh, on this podcast soon. We're、uh, we're in negotiations right now.、Uh, his people are talking to my people, so、uh, we're working it out. But.、Uh, Yeah, those those are those are great guys, and I think anybody who hasn't listened to them, yeah, you know, I think yeah, you know, obviously names like Bobby, people are going to be familiar with,、uh, you know,、uh, Chuck,、um, Dave Stahl. Dave, by the way, only lives like about forty five minutes from me,、um, and he still sounds great. I've I've、uh, gone to a few of his gigs the the past few years, uh, but um, George Graham is one of those names that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Uh, because you know he's not,、uh, you know, wasn't the big U.S. name.、Um, so I, thanks for bringing him up because yeah, he is absolutely amazing. So you know, just search him on YouTube, folks, and you'll be you'll be in for a treat. So、uh, when you know, also think about the fact, yeah, you, know, you you said you're you're mostly self-taught.、Um, when people come to you for advice,、uh, you know. How do you approach helping someone、uh, to make improvement、uh, in in terms of their playing? Are you, are you more of a、um, 
hey, this is what worked for me, you know, try this? Or uh, do you have uh, some sort of a protocol that you take people through to, to help them discover their own way like you did? Yeah, um, the, the word uh, discovery is, you know, what I try to um, uh, emphasize to all my students. And, um, you know, we're in a day, you know, where, you know, you, you can always flip on and turn on your iPhone and Google your problems and questions. And, you know, this, a lot of the students, the kids, even the adults, uh, want quick answers to everything. And they don't spend time experimenting, failing. You know, failure is a great teacher. Yeah. So um, I try to encourage them to try everything and get all these different ideas from all these different teachers and try them out and discover what works for them. And that's what I try to uh, encourage everyone to do. Because uh, I'm I'm a encyclopedia of failure, man. I've... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've um I've done so many um bad things, <laughs> not bad things, but uh, wrong way of playing, and I still consider my chops uh not well, I still consider <clears throat> I'm still um I guess trying to find <laughs> a better way of playing because I'm still battling a lot of uh, different uh, many uh, faults that I consider that you know that need to be corrected. So I, I'm still a student. I'm I'm in a position of teaching now. I'm t- I'm teaching at three different conservatories here, but I'm still a teacher. So you know, like watching your uh, uh, the the video hangs, and I'm st- I'm learning so much, and that's you know I'm I'm um, I'm still trying to find a better way of doing this. So uh, we're in the same, I'm trying to keep myself <clears throat> uh, uh, in- inquisitive to an- anything that comes in. And without shutting down an idea, I, I will always give them a try. All these different method books that comes out every year, you know, uh, I, I, I buy them and I try them, you know, I give it a try. And if it works for me, great. And I'll keep it. If if it doesn't, I, I move on. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's like the old uh, Bruce Lee quote. You know, absorb what is useful. And yeah, you, but you're not gonna know whether you, something's useful or not until you give it a shot. And I think that a lot of times we we get um, too bogged down by the dogma of things. And, you know, this is this is the way I was taught to play. And this is the way that my teacher's teacher taught them to play. And therefore, this is the way you're going to play when it may not be the thing that's that's best for you in terms of either your physiology or, you know, the sound that you hear in your head. Like you were saying, you know, you have a a sound in mind that you're going for. Um, You know, so I, I think that that sometimes our our educational system puts people in a box that stifles their ability to to try new things and to be okay with failing uh, and through the process of failing, learning what really works. 
So uh, I really like what you said about, you know, the, the way you approach things both for yourself and, and for your students. And um, so, like, what are you working on right now for yourself? I mean, what what are the areas that, that you feel like you're you're searching for a little deeper understanding? Well, you know, I'm getting older and things are not as easy as it was. So I'm rediscovering my chops. And with this COVID um, uh, shutdowns, um, it's getting more and more difficult to uh, keep me motivated to practice. So my my chops are getting down. So um, I'm trying to rediscover, you know, uh, things that help me at my age, I guess. <laughs> so, um, you know, years ago, uh, I man, uh, I did a bunch of chase tributes. Yeah. And Maynard tributes, and uh, doing those gigs. Um, on, on one of the Chase tribute, I cut my chops really, really bad. It was a deep gash inside on my lips, and uh, it took me. I'm still trying to recover from that. Mm-hmm. If I don't be careful, uh, if I push myself just a little too hard, that cut opens up, and I can't play. Um, so I'm right now I'm working on trying to, uh, circumvent that and to be able to play more efficiently <laughs> more than ever. Um, when I was on Buddy's band, uh, that's just the, the famous, the infamous crazy glue story yeah. where I cut my lips so bad that, uh, I used crazy glue to seal that cut and, um, I kind of managed to uh, get by for about five days on a crazy glue uh, scab <laughs> on my lip. So there, that was a big learning experience, how, what not to do. Uh, so, I mean, you know, being on the band, you know, the road band for three years constantly has um, gave me a chance to try out many different things. I, I, I would... I used to have about 10 mouthpieces on the bandstand and about three different horns and each duct tape with a different lead pipe. So I'll be, you know, trying out different lead pipes and trying about 10 mouthpieces and I'll be trying different embouchures on a gig. And, you know, that, uh, you know, drove me crazy, but he gave me, time to kind of discover like i said uh, many different things about myself and my jobs and stuff yeah one buddy rich story that i can just kind of pop into my pop into my head okay, speaking of, uh, um bobby's shoe uh when i was at berkeley and playing in you know these buddy rich ensembles and stuff uh, the director was an ex uh, buddy uh, sax player his name was jimmy Moser. He played in the band in the seventies. Anyway, um, uh, Jimmy said that uh, there was a blood stain from uh, Bobby's split lip, blood that gushed out from his his split lip on the first page of the West Side Story. Okay. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and Jimmy said that if you get on the band and try to you know try to find that chart and you know look at it. So that's what I did. The first thing I did 
And when I got on the band, I looked for the West Side Story. And sure enough, there's, you know, black dots on the first page. And I asked Bobby about it. And Bobby said, oh, yeah, uh, it was a tonight's show uh, taping of the West Side Story. You can YouTube this. And he said he had, he had a scab on his top lip. And they played three numbers. And on the last number they played was the West Side Story. And uh, as, as you know, the, the suite starts with with a high F. And he said that after he played that high F, he put down his horn and he felt something warm running down his lip. And he looked at his mouthpiece and there was a piece of scab and the blood, you know, his mouthpiece cup oh. was red. And he says, oh, shit. And he looked over to John Murakami, the second player, and he said, hey, am I cut? And John's like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so anyway, so um, that story was true. So so there. <laughs> so you'll know, um, you know, that that's an authentic copy of Buddy Rich's uh, Lee Trumpet book if there is blood, spain, blood stains on West Side Story. So. <laughs> You know, Jose, I I have a photocopy of that uh, that first page. I'll I'll send it to you. Okay, after this. Okay, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll 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 ask Bobby about that and uh, and see if they've done DNA tests just to make sure that it. it <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, I you you said you've been following the hang, and I really that makes you know that really makes me feel cool. Then that someone of your your stature in the trumpet community is is listening to the, this nonsense that I'm putting out. But um, I'm adding a new segment, and I want to add it with you. So you're going to be the first person to do this segment, and I'm calling this okay. I'm calling this gear up. So this is this is basically our gearhead section. I I've kind of steered away from gearhead talk too much consistently. But I've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of requests for, you know, finding out some stuff. But I want to do this in my own unique way. So obviously, the first thing I want to know is, you know, what equipment are you playing on? But then we're going to add a little spin to that. So uh, what what's in your your arsenal, your go to arsenal right now? OK, I'm playing um, my signature model GR mouthpieces. And there are uh, a lead model which is for high note and lead playing. And there's a Studio M, which are, which, which is a, a little deeper mouthpiece, deeper cup. And there, uh, there are um, a couple of classical models that I use for a C trumpet and a piccolo uh, flugel. And my, my trumpet is a Yamaha uh, Eric Miyashiro model. Uh, and uh, I have a flugelhorn that's that once again it's an Eric model, and a piccolo, uh, another uh, design of my own. And so those are my I guess uh, my main three horns that I use, and they are all Yamaha custom made horns. All right, cool. Yeah, I've I've played your horn. It, it's so funny. I, I um, was at an ITG. And I have been trying to find your horn. They were impossible to find in the States for the longest uh, time. And um, I love the way it blowed, man. It just, it, it had a, a nice, a nice feel to it. Now that's, uh, is, is that a step bore? 
yes, yeah, it, it is a step bore. It's uh, it has medium, medium, large, and a large bore um, in, di in different different places. And uh, I'm currently working on a generation two of my horn. Bobby's generation two came out a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this <laughs> publicly, but uh, Wayne's gener generation two is coming out too. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I'm designing a, a different configuration, but once again, it's, it's a step bore, uh, but it has same bell. Uh, Wayne and I share the same shape bell. It's sort of a, a Bessonish. Uh, it's a fat throat bell. Because <clears throat> uh, I guess we know we have to do, he and I, well, Bobby, Bobby's uh, Z has the same A bell too. So we all kind of share a um, basic design bell, I guess. Well, so as as your so this is going to be one of the the, the questions I'm going to be asking of people. So I'm, I'm going to I'm testing these out on you, see how they work. Um, so, what are the things that you look for in a horn? Obviously, you know if if you don't have an endorsement deal, you know people are going to be shopping for for a specific kind of horn. But when you're designing your horns, what are the the characteristics? that you find to be the most crucial for the kind of work that you do? Um, okay. Um, when I was on the road and only only doing the lead trumpet things, I needed something that um, uh, gave me uh, the brightness, the edge to cut through. Uh, and um, I use a super shallow mouthpiece and a large boy horn and sort of a go-to uh, setup for a leech of it thing. When I met um, um, Wayne in 86, I think it was, he was on Mainer's band and then I was on Buddy's band and we were both playing the same horn, uh, Shoki X3. Mm -hmm. And he was playing on, I think it was a Marcinkowitz Bobby 1.5, I think which is pretty shallow mouthpiece. And I was playing on a custom-made Reeves. So uh, he and I, when when we got off the road and started to do studio work, we needed something that would cover uh, more, you know, uh, vast different styles of stuff. So uh, uh, our equipment choice got, you know, uh, more smaller, I guess, uh, with a little more resistance. So, um, <clears throat> and fast forward a few more years, and I started to do a lot of my uh, solo work. I um, got my own band, and I'm asked to do all these solo works, uh, guest spots from all over the world. So I needed something that um, would let me do that, as well as a studio and a lead thing. So, so I needed versatility for my equipment. And... Um, I made a big mistake by going to Yamaha and try to work this horn. And, and I was trying to get all this sound. Um, I was trying to make my sound warmer. I was trying to make my sound brighter and that blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, that took about two, three years. And I, I finally found out, Matt, that uh, you can't really change your sound 
by mouthpiece or horn. You know, we all experience this, I think, you know, you know, we change mouthpiece, it sounds great at the music store or at the shop, and you take it back and you take it to the gig, two, three weeks passes by and you're back to your, you know, original sound. The honeymoon's over, Yeah. you know, and because you know it's it's your it's like it's like your voice your singing voice that nothing you know you, you change a microphone and it's gonna change a little bit but you know your basic voice won't change so uh, with that in mind with that discovery i shifted my concentration of the designing to uh, um making designing a horn that's gonna be easy as easy as possible to play so I can control my sound instead of um, making the horn change my sound or expecting the horn to change my sound. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that changing, the shifting of the designing philosophy in my head uh, really helped me uh, move on with my mouthpiece design and my horn design. Okay, that's cool. So, you know, then, then now this is the final part of this uh, this little segment is, uh, you know, not everybody has the, you know, the the uh, the clout of a of an Eric Miyashiro or a Wayne Bergeron or um, Bobby Shue to have custom gear designed for them. Um, so, for the up and coming trumpet player, the young trumpet player um, who's looking to get good equipment, you know, to, to try and, and find the kind of gear that's going to help them do what they're going to do. What suggestions do you have for them for things to look for? Okay. Um, you know, you, you have to remember there are three things involved. Uh, the horn, the mouthpiece, and the player. And those three elements needs to be in balance. So um, you really have to be careful uh, of when you're trying out new horns, not to try out horns and trust that feeling you're going to get in a music store or at the, you know, at the shop, the custom shop, the mouthpiece shop and whatnot. So um, spend time, uh, take your time um you know about you you know if if you if you can go to the music store maybe three times on a different day with with, with a different set of mind and different set of chops and try them out and really see how that going to work out and don't let the size or don't let the measurements uh, make you think like like you know if the, the bore size is medium, you your natural tendency is say you know to feel is like you there's going to be a lot of resistance, and if it says large bore, you're going to think that it's going to be you know you you need a lot lot of air to fill that horn. No 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 you know that's that's not the way it really works. It's the combination of you mouthpiece and the horn. So uh, don't let those numbers, we all, you know, we all kind of um, get too caught up with the sizes and, and things, you know, you know, so um, be careful with that. And don't let, don't have your friend come with you and 
don't ask your friend, you know, if this is sounds good to you or, you know, you know, because, you know, your, your friend have a different taste in sound. It's not you. So uh, don't let the sound, like I said earlier, it's, it's your voice. And no matter what you change, it's going to come back to you, that voice, unless you change that voice in the head, in your head. If you have a strong goal or a vision or an image that you want to sound like this, you're going to get there. Your body's going to be act and you're going to move there towards there. And, and, but don't um, um, let your friends or the, the store, you know, helper, you know, tell you, you know, this sounds better than this. So uh, take your time and just, you know, go with, you go with your gut feeling, you know, and keep uh, the trying out uh, time that you spend on trying out a different horns or different mouthpieces short. You know, if you have a mouthpieces that you want to try out and don't spend like half an hour playing them because your body is going to unconsciously adjust to, you know, to the mouthpiece and, you know, even if it's not right for you, your body will make that adjustment and, you know, it might, it might not be right for you, you know? So, uh, and I was, I would say five minutes at the most, or even, even less than that. And just let, you know, your gut feeling, your first impression dictate uh, what you, what you're going to choose. That's, that's my take on, you know, suggestions about, you know horns and equipments very very cool yeah that's uh that's golden advice uh you know i i've spent a few years doing uh doing shows uh repping repping gear and it's amazing how people don't have a concept of how to pick a horn or how to pick a mouthpiece uh you know and i think that hearing from someone like you who's you know obviously a, a extremely high level player but besides that you've also designed your own gear so you have an idea of, of how to point people in the right direction so thank you very much for for that i think this segment the segment's going to be a keeper we're going to name this the eric Mirashiro gear up segment so oh my, <laughs> we'll, we'll oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah jose man uh i moved uh from my old house about three years ago and uh, as I was packing my mouthpieces, I found, check this out, I found 600 mouthpieces. Holy cow. Damn. Can you, can you imagine six? I, I couldn't believe it. There were 600 mouthpieces. Well, uh, to be precise, five, 580 mouthpieces. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not 600, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I found I found four cardboard boxes of mouthpieces that I forgot about. Oh my god. So so yeah, so trust me when when, when I say that, you know, uh, <laughs> the mouth there there's there's not going to be a ma magic mouthpieces that's going to make you sound like Maynard or Dave Stahl or George Graham or Wayne Bergeron. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, unless it's the Eric Mishira model GR, in which case it will make you sound just like Eric. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes with a guaranteed double high C too. Yeah, so yeah, please, yeah, the, the please double, buy them. Yeah. 
That's right. They're pre-installed at the factory, folks. So yeah, wow. That that yeah. that's a heck of a mouthpiece. That that's like Doc Severinsen level mouthpieces. I I I heard that Doc had like a bathtub filled with mouthpieces at his house. Oh yeah, I heard that too. Uh, Chuck yeah, Chuck told me about that. Yeah. Yeah. Just like yeah yeah, people just give me mouthpieces. If you want one, just go in and grab one. Oh my god. That's crazy. That is absolutely great. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up with our um, our original segment, which is brought to us by our good friends at Robinson's Remedies, uh, and I know uh, you you know Kenny and the gang. Kenny, yeah, Walter. And Walter, yeah. So this is our Robinson's Remedies Rapid Fire Round. This is a series of questions all over the place where I just need your quickest answer. But if you want to talk about it a little bit more, it's okay. I don't care. So anyway, let's get started. Eric, who's the biggest influence on your life that's not a trumpet player? Uh, My wife. (laughs) That's a good answer. You have to go to sleep at night. (laughs) All right. What's your favorite book? Um, the science of breath. Ooh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> uh, Mulan. Okay. The new one? <laughs> yeah, the old one. The old one. Okay. <laughs> the animated one. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I, a friend of mine was used as the uh, the uh, motion capture uh, artist for for Mulan. So, yeah. Oh no way! Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah they kind of they kind uh, of shape the they shape the character on her. But uh, yeah, it, it was yeah, it was a goofy movie. No, no. So sorry, sorry. That just kind of popped in my cup popped in, popped into my head. Because I just saw it last night with my daughter, so that's oh, okay. Sorry, it's it's not a, it's not an accurate answer. <laughs> okay, no, so, it's, all, it's all good. I mean, it wasn't a great movie. So, anyway. so, so go ahead. Yeah. All right. Uh, if uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? A cook. Why is it that huh. it's like almost I, I would probably I have to go back and do the numbers on this, but I think probably a good 75 percent of people that I've had on this show and I've asked that question have said they want to be cooks. I I mean, I don't know, too, but uh, um, like Bobby, Bobby Shu is a great cook, too. So I guess we all love eating, I guess. So, you know, they become a good cook. It's all those years on the road eating shit food. You're like, man, I got to learn how to cook. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. What's your favorite drink? A guava juice. Okay. That, that's a first. <laughs> all right. You could have a dinner party and invite any three living people. Any three living people in the entire world are going to come to your dinner party. Who would you want to invite? Um, Obama, uh, Biden, Trump. Wow. So the last, well, the last one, the current one and the one to be. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just want to see their conversation. You're going to need a referee for that one, I think, my friends. (laughs) Yeah, it it would be very interesting. All right. So and then uh, you're also going to be able to invite any three people from history. So any three people that are no longer with us, who would you want to have there? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Maynard. Mm, 
Chase, uh, Snooky. Oh man. <laughs> so while, while the politicians are over in the corner, uh, arguing with each other, you know, everybody else is over having a good time. Yeah. Man. Sorry, Jose. Sorry. Man. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. I tell you what, man, I, yeah, I love Maynard, you know, uh, that he was, he was probably, he was my first big, super big inspiration kind of completely changed my, my, uh, beliefs about what the trumpet was was possible was possible in the trumpet then you know then obviously that was the gateway into chase um so those two definitely had a big impact but as i started to really start to dive into to big band snooki became like my favorite lead player i just loved snooki you know he was just he he was just so smooth so uh yeah that, that i would like to be at that dinner too Oh my same here, man. I met Maynard when I was in high school. So um we've known I I've, I've known Maynard um uh, for a, a long time. We would we would cross path uh on the road and, and we did um Buddy's band and Maynard's band. We did a bunch of a double bill concerts. So I had a lot of time to hang with Maynard. And man, the, the stories that he would share with you was like priceless. Yeah, amazing. And the one thing that kind of sticks to my mind and what he said was one, I don't exactly remember where and when, but I was, I was, it's, I was telling Maynard that, and you know, like, all, like, like many of, you know, us would, you know, say the same thing to him that I said to Maynard that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's you that in you, you changed my, you know, my my it changed my life in which your music and you know um man i uh you've been such an inspiration to me and he said oh yeah 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 thank you thank you eric but you know i also ruined so many players too so there (laughs) 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 so i thought that was kind of funny and um i got i got to hang and play with snooki here in tokyo too and man, he was such a warm-hearted person too. And nothing, he had not, you know, nothing but compliment to uh, me and anybody that was around him. And he just lit up the, the the stage with his presence and when he's playing, and his positivity, uh, man. And I think that's you know the 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 trumpet, the music is so honest that you can't you can't lie you cannot lie through your horn and the what you hear from all these great players are are them their soul i think you know and that's it's the, the reflection of their the whole person persona comes throughout the horn so the um clock terry is a you know another very fine example of pure you know love and joy and yeah so that's one of the one of the things that i wasn't doing when i was young was that i wasn't being honest through my horn Mm -hmm. all all i was trying to do was just play as high as possible and loud as possible and i was in my 20s being on the road but since getting off um you know into uh 
have had a chance to meet and speak with these, you know, legends of trumpet players and musicians that, you know, the honesty through your horn, that's the only way that you're going to get through the audience. You can impress um, a lot of people with your technique, the high notes, the loud and fast playing, but the only way you can, the only way you can touch the audience is being honest, you know, through your horn and through your music and i think that's you know that 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 uh, i live you know by that those words to this day and it's 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 been helping me a lot <laughs> especially that, in time of uh covid yeah that's uh, eric that's one of the 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 clearest explanations of that that i've i've heard uh, in such a long time. And I agree with you 100% that, you know, it is all about being authentic. It's, it's like you said earlier, it's our voice, you know, and it's coming, it, it needs to come from, from deep inside of us. It needs to be an expression of who we are. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm with you hundred percent there, my friend. All right. So next question, lacquer plated or raw? Lacquered. Mm-hmm. I knew the answer to that one. <laughs> um what's your favorite quote uh just use pressure just use more pressure <laughs> just there. use more pressure okay um, and an- another one is when in doubt play chromatic <laughs> <laughs> yeah have you ever uh do you know who victor wooten is of course i know victor yeah <laughs> Uh, have you ever read his book, The Music Lesson? No, no, no. Awesome book, but uh, he has a a statement that he puts in there, and, and he he says this a lot in his, his clinics and stuff like this as well. But he's like, you know, the the cool thing is that when you're playing and you're improvising, um, you're only a half step away from a right note. So no matter what, yeah, and it's the whole thing about, you know, people are so afraid to, to make mistakes. Like, you know, whatever you're doing, you're just a half step away, you know, go down a half step, go up a half step. You're, you're on a solid note. And, uh, you know, that, that chromatic concept, it works. <laughs> and that, that reminds me, Jose, um, that uh, when I was on Buddy's band, uh no no it was it was when I played with Maynard I think yeah it was Maynard um I I used to have a bad habit of if when I played or when I when I played a wrong note or missed a note I would be visually angry and I would like slam my horn you know down the the trumpet stand or something you know make you know right. uh, make a big deal out of it you know and frown or something, you know, and just make a face or just say, oh, fuck, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> swear or something on stage. And Maynard just said that uh, after the gig was over, and Maynard said, uh, Eric, uh, I know it's frustrating to miss a note and it's, you know, and it's not fun, but uh, don't let the audience know that you made a mistake. They, you know, most of them will know, you know, unless you uh, let them know that you missed a note. So don't act on it on stage. Yeah, and um, and it, it was Buddy that said that uh, if you if you clam a note, uh, stare at the second trumpet player. 
So the audience would, so the audience would think that he did something wrong to make you play <laughs> wrong the wrong note. Oh uh, yeah, it's like the old trick you you know look at your valves or, or something like that. Yeah, I that, yeah, you know, and I I'm a hundred percent behind that. I when I was uh yeah I was a competitive martial artist for for a number of years and coached a lot of people that uh, that competed and, and performed and. I, that's, that was my, my mantra to them is like, you know, if you make a mistake, just keep going because nobody really knows what you're doing anyway. So, you know, just, just keep going and, and try not to, you know, draw attention or, you know, I think it was a dizzy who said, if you play a wrong note, you know, play it, play it twice. And people think you meant to do it. So <laughs> Good, great, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is solid advice for you young players. Just, you know, there you go. All right, so Eric, what is your greatest fear? Uh, not being able to play. Mm. I guess that that is my greatest fear is not being able to play music, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, huh. music has been such a part of you for, I mean, it's 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 been part of your entire life. And you really well, it's that. you know, it's it's not a profession. It's 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 you know, the way of life, I guess. You know, it's who I am. Yeah. So that is my biggest fear: is not being able to, yeah, um, play music. I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, you could have only one superpower. I know you have many superpowers at this point, but you can only have one superpower. What would that superpower be? Uh, invisible. Okay, so the way would see you when you made a played a wrong note. <laughs> so it, it all so you go, I'll, be, dis I'll disappear. Yeah, so it definitely is the second <laughs> trumpet player. Um, <laughs> all right, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? Uh, air, the use of air. Um, you you blame everything on air. And you, there's air is done, and wind instruments, so you need air. Uh, no, I that's I think that's like the most overrated. Tongue arches, another one. Mm -hmm. The tongue positions are yeah overrated too. So that's kind of it works in 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 pair with the air thing. And you know, if you arch your tongue, you have a faster air. Nah, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, I I think air is overrated. Okay. And, yeah. Nice. Um, I I I can go on for like hours on this, because um I've I've heard and so many um people blame things on air and and so many kids are ruined by uh, overblowing or underblowing. So yeah, I think the air is air thing is overrated, um, and also also like I said, tongue arches. You know your 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 tongue arches would like like we're speaking right now. The tongue acts as a a tone, I guess, uh, changer. Mm -hmm. You raise your tongue, you have a more of an e sound. You lower it, you have a ah deeper you know sounding sound coming out of your voice your voice changes and we do that 
with with the trumpet too when we're playing brass instrument your tongue position is there to uh, give a different tonal color or attacks i think so mm -hmm. not necessarily um it's the you know um the high note kind of you know um air speed sort of thing mm -hmm. so I don't know. I you know we, we, there are so many debates. This this thing is debated for like hundreds of years. So uh, you know I, I don't want to get into that. But that's my belief is that you know uh, the air and the tongues are overrated. All right. Well, then there's the flip question to that, which is what aspect do you think is the most underrated? Huh. Um, melody, uh, the singing of the melody, uh, melodic, I guess, concept, you know, uh, the, 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 trump the trumpet, first of all, is such a difficult instrument that we get so, <clears throat> we're, um, it's, it's hard. It's just hard just to play, play a note. So, um, I think the last thing that we, uh, uh, underrate or you know the last thing we think about is the phrasing and i think that's the phrasing and i guess oh well jose uh, let me change that to tone maybe <laughs> okay. no 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 i think i think yeah i think that the, the, the phrase the phrasing in a tone uh the tone color the voice yeah that's that's underrated too you know the technique is always in what what gets the attention the most. Um, but uh, what kind of stays in your mind, stays in your heart, is the sound. I guess you know going back to the beginning of the our hang today. Um, when I think back, that sound that I heard from Gary, Jerry, and Madrid, and Ollie, and Maynard. And that sound is still there, fresh in my heart and my soul. So, uh, so I guess that's, yeah, uh, yeah, and the, yeah. Let me change that to the sound. I guess, yeah, it's underrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I think so many people struggle with that. I know for years I struggled with that because, um, you know, you you get you get told what is a beautiful sound and what is not a beautiful sound. And, you know, like you said, your sound is your sound and you, you can make your sound better. But when you, when I listen to, to players that really touch me, they all have very different sounds. None of them, you know, yeah. You know, yes. I love the sound of, of a Bud Herseth. I love that, you know, kind of, you know, super deep, uh, you know, uh, broad orchestral sound, but you know, I, I, I loved Maynard sounds. I, I loved Bill Chase's sound. I love the sound of Freddie Hubbard. I love the sound of miles. Uh, and none of them sound the same, you know, they, they have their unique voice, just like I love Pavarotti. I love, uh, Placido Domingo, uh, I love Bruno Mars. Yeah, everybody's got a different sound to their voice. And I think sometimes as trumpet players, we get told that 
only this sound is what's acceptable. And I think that's, that's doing a huge disservice to the, the instrument itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you brought up uh, Chicago and Bud. I got to hang and do an interview with uh, Bud Hersett here in Tokyo, mm-hmm. like 20 years ago. And um, it was myself and another classical trumpet player. And that classical trumpet player went first interviewing Bud. And, you know, the, the guy asked the generic questions about, you know, what's it like to play with Shalti and blah, blah, blah. And came to my turn and Bud said, hey, so what's what's your story, Eric? So I explained to him, well, I'm, I'm a jazz trumpet player. I don't, I don't know if I'm... Um, allowed to be here talking to you but I've been a big fan and you know he he and I started to talk about uh, all things trumpet but he said that um, the the most he said um, playing a first trumpet on uh, an orchestra is just like playing a D trumpet on, on a on a big band our role as a first trumpet player is to put fire onto the ensemble that you're playing with. That's what the trumpet is. The nature of the trumpet um, <clears throat> is that that the God-given role that we have is to ignite fire into the ensemble, into, into the audience's heart. And uh, he said that the, the young cats nowadays the young players nowadays are so <clears throat> they're they're good technically incredible they know all these extra orchestra excerpts and they can play anything in tune beautiful sound but you know they're they're so involved in trying to blend with the woodwinds or the the string section but said no 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 you know if it's this trumpet on the part you have to play trumpet he said you you don't you you don't want to have the audience you know questioning is that a clarinet or an oboe no it says trumpet you play trumpet you have to sound like trumpet and he also he said that a lot of people mistaking mistakes uh, chicago sound as being loud or bright and he says, no, 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 it's, it's not that. You know, we're just playing very efficiently. And the string sections are playing really full too. So it's, there's a balance there. And he said, uh, when I go to uh, concert tours and when I play in a concert hall that I've never played before, I'll get there before anybody gets there. And I'll sit in my, set, uh, my chair and I try to find the sweet spot of that concert hall where my sound resonates the best. And I'll point at that sweet spot for the rest of the night. Mm. So I'll, I'll, I, I'm, I'll, I'm, I'm making the concert hall, you know, my friend. You cannot be fighting the hall. Right. If you do, you, you overplay and you just blare out and your sound spreads. And and so, you know, he said that the Chicago sound is very efficiently controlled sound and we played with fire. That's what he said. That's what, that's the energy that, you know, you're, you're feeling. It's not our sheer volume. 
and and a lot of people blame me for <laughs> for for the Chicago sound, and a lot of people think that I'm I'm playing really loud, but no, I'm not. And he said I'm just playing efficiently. And I'm using the hall to my advantage. My con the concert hall is part of my instrument, mm. and man, you know that kind of opened my mind up. And when I when after that point on, when I listen to Chicago recordings, I really get what he was trying to say. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never heard that before, but it makes absolute sense. Absolute sense. So, wow, thank you. That that was worth the price of admission right there, Eric. Thanks a lot, man. All right, so here we go. Um, only a couple more questions. You can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Wow, yeah. Um, listen to more, I guess, listen to more jazz players. <laughs> Because yeah, I, I got into uh, that the the excitement part early on, uh, so that kind of uh, set a, set my mindset into that lead trumpet player thing. Yeah, mm. so um, and of course I I enjoy listening to Clifford and Freddie, and but you know my main thing for a long time was you know just high note part the the excitement part of the horn yeah so my advice my advice would be yeah listen to more jazz players yeah yes yeah i'm i'm with you on that one uh you're and while you're back there you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life what's one thing that you've learned over the years that you you wish you knew when you were younger hmm okay that's an interesting one too uh, um Save money. <laughs> yeah, uh, spend time with your family more. Because uh, uh, my dad and I, although uh, we made up at the end before he passed, uh, we, we didn't have a good relationship because he was an alcoholic and he was a little abusive. And uh, my mom and my dad got divorced when I was in high school. So I kind of blamed things on him uh, for uh, the the breakup of the family. So I was uh, I was very distant from him. But you know, at my age, and you know, having experienced a lot that he had, um, I you know I I I get it. It's tough, and it, it's it's tough being you know a dad or a husband. So uh, yes, spend time with your family more, and you know, uh, enjoy, 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 enjoy your family. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Final question: What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, a legacy. Yeah, your legacy. Uh, to be remembered as a good musician. <laughs> uh, uh legacy oh man oh man um i guess i just i just want my my music to be remembered that's it you know i want people to enjoy after i'm gone to still enjoy my playing so not a legacy but just want to be remembered well 
you are certainly hard to forget. You are uh, definitely a dynamic player. Um, and this has been an absolute joy of a hang. Um, you know, there, there's nothing more than, than I, I, there are very few things I love more than just sitting, sitting around and just, just talking trumpet in general, but, but with somebody who, um, you know, you, you can feel a natural resonance to and, and so I, I definitely feel that with you, Eric. So I, I really appreciate the time and I really look forward to being able to, you know, catching up with you again in the future and, and maybe sitting down over a, a cup of, uh, of, uh, guava or whatever else you drink and, <laughs> uh, having a, having a, a more deep conversation and just kind of get to know each other. Um, and I really appreciate everything that you do and, you know, you, you, you had some tremendous insights. So thanks so much for taking time to be with, with us in this episode. Oh my God, Jose. Um, first of all, you know, um, thank you, um, man. And talking with you, your wealth of knowledge and man, and your love for music and everything trumpet is, you know, um, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you're just a you know it's a great guy to hang with so uh, yeah likewise uh, let's look forward to our next hang in person with a guava juice or a beer you know yeah. um but um yeah please uh, i know this you know takes a lot of time and effort to uh, you know arrange these videos but uh, please keep them coming because um i'm 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 enjoying the hell out of these and uh, I'm sure the people around the world are getting so much uh, joy and the knowledge and inspiration out of these. So kudos to you, Jose. Keep them, keep the good work uh, coming you know, and constant. And uh, please uh, stay safe, okay? Uh, I will do that. You do the same thing. And, and maybe we can get a, a, a Tokyo trumpet hang going and, uh, you know, get one of those, another one of those super hangs going and, uh introduce some people to to the guys that are that are working out in that area that maybe they don't know about so that might be a fun thing to do in the future great sounds good man all right well thanks a lot eric and thank you for joining us for this episode of the trumpet gurus hang and as always peace and slide grease we out